Welcome to the Weekly Walk Podcast, where we bring you impactful sermons from our vibrant Seventh-day Adventist community in Onalaska, Washington. Join us as we explore faith, hope, and love through engaging sermons and inspiring stories. Whether you're a longtime member or just curious about our beliefs, tune in to find spiritual nourishment and a sense of community in our shared journey of faith. Happy Sabbath. Sabbath. It is a blessing to see each and every one of you this morning or afternoon now. Uh, It's good to be in the house of the Lord on this afternoon. Amen. Um, Thank you so much for the opportunities that we have shared together to come to the capacity as Bible students to learn more of God's word, as well as to be strengthened in the inner man for the time that is at hand. Uh, Before we begin, I just want to do a quick uh, sound check. Uh, Is it okay? It sounds like I'm fading in and out. Are we okay so far? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Sounds sounds good. Um, And apart from that, Uh, We are going to begin with a word of prayer, but after the word of prayer, um, I would like to finish uh, part two, which was part of this same presentation. Um, And some of the things that we will be looking at this morning or afternoon now, I pray may have a a, a practical impact in us. I think uh, without saying any much more that we are so much in need of a living, practical, godly relationship with the Lord. Amen? And so as we pray together and study together, it is my sincere hope that we may be all lifted up in our message and in our consideration for today. Kindly bow your heads with me as we begin our service. Father in heaven, I want to thank you for the privilege that has been offered us on this Sabbath afternoon to gather as family. Thank you that you have so graciously lavished us with everything that is needful for godliness and for life. Thank you for your precious promises. Thank you for your word. But I also want to thank you for the trials and the tribulations that serve as your workmen to prepare in us a character that reflects that of the lovely Jesus. We are considering a passage that was penned uh, several thousand years back, and it is our plea that as we look into this idea of being a letter known and read of all men. We are out for delivery. And it is my hope and prayer, it is my request that the message that is presented this afternoon will be one that is indicted by and uh, superintended by your spirit. And so I ask you to be with my mouth and also be with all our hearts and all our ears. We are here to hear your voice speaking to us. Thank you, Father. And now we just ask that your spirit will be in this place and that you will bind and cast out any spirit, any influence that is uh, not of you. 
Thank you very much for hearing, for we pray this in Christ's precious and powerful name. Amen. I do not want to take so much of uh, our time reviewing part one. Uh, I realize that there's some faces who are not here. There were some of us who were not here when we went over the first study, Out for Delivery. And so in a nutshell, um, I will just point out that this study was, was, was a means of using an illustration that God in his word has uh, laid out for us as we read, as James read for us in the scripture reading, and one that I hope can now help us to understand the practical realms of being a Christian here at the end of the world. We looked at how life can be summed up in two words. Life is hard, life is confusing. Uh, but we also um, spoke about the five, if you remember, different letters, and all of the letters had the three elements, the return address, the address or the, 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 the uh, individual where the address is to be uh, delivered. And then we also had the little graphic on the right where the stamp goes. And if you remember in our illustration last time, there were several different um, addresses, uh, several different return to sender titles. But the stamps were specifically two kinds, either one that had the little green uh, graphic at the bottom, SLJP, or right there, which was the other one, SLMP. And we did not look into that, and that's what we're going to take some time to look into, and that has to do with the stamp. Now, the gist of the message, brothers and sisters, was that the individual sending the address, if you remember from our study last time, the individual sending the address can claim to be of the same residence. Remember the first one was Jehovah and the residence was the kingdom of light. But we also looked at how at the very, in this example, in this case, son of the morning can also claim to be from the kingdom of light. And remember who the son of the morning is? Lucifer. It was Satan, Lucifer, son of the morning. And the reason that we said that was because Paul himself had mentioned that no marvel for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. So Satan can come to us masquerading as coming from the kingdom of light, addressing a message to some recipient, and how are we going to know that he has, or this message bears the seal of approval? So that was the idea where we ended last time. Now there were some slides that we're going to just bring to speed based on what we looked at or what we were leading to last week, and then look into our study for today. I want to call your attention, if you can open to our passage found in the book of 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, where we took our scriptural reading and where our study is based in, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and this is dealing with ministers of the new covenant. Let me begin, brothers and sisters, by saying that the time in which we live is a time when the world 
is looking for answers. Can we, can we, can we agree with that? We're looking for answers, whether it's from government, whether it's from science, whether it's in the media, whether it's in fashion, whether it's in popular society, people are looking for answers. People are looking for certainty. And it's only getting more dire, affecting young and old. And this is where what we are looking to comes to a practical level. Because you see, God has raised up a people who are to be, as it were, light in the midst of darkness. Now, I want us to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to come back to chapter 3 because that's where we're looking at. But I want to begin in chapter 4. So 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And I want us to see that God always acts on the same plan in addressing the darkness, the confusion, the difficulty that's in the world today. God acts in the same plan. Now, what's that plan? God acts in the plan of Two witnesses. How many witnesses? Two. Two. Witness number one, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and notice with me in verse number 6. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 6. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God where? In the face of Jesus Christ. Now go with me to the book of John chapter 1. John chapter 1, we're considering our first witness. And this is actually tied together with what we are going to be looking at this part 2 out for delivery. John chapter 1. And I want us to begin in verse number 4. John 1 and verse 4. This is speaking about Christ. John 1 and verse 4. The Bible says, In him, that's in Christ, was life, and the life was what, everybody? The light of men. So in Christ was life, and that life was the light of men. Keep that in mind because we have just read in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6 that God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God shining in the face of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Jesus says now, in clear statement regarding himself, if you can go to John 8 and verse 12, John 8 and verse 12, Jesus makes a very clear statement that I wanted to settle in our hearts as we consider the topic out for delivery, epistles known and read of all men. John chapter 8 and verse number 12, Jesus spake these words unto them saying, I am the what? The light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but what? But shall have the light of life. As I said in beginning, brothers and sisters, we are in a time when this world, you just have to look what's happening. You have to see what's happening even in our own families, in our own church circle. In our own nation, we are in a time when people are looking for some form of light, hope, direction, guidance. Jesus says, I am the light of the world and he who follows after me shall not walk in darkness. That's witness number one. 
But God follows the same plan. And how many witnesses does God have? Two. Let us go to, uh, to the book of Matthew. Matthew, and notice what Jesus says. Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to go to verse 14. Matthew 5 and verse 14. The words of our Lord Jesus on that seminal sermon on the mount. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 14. Now he's speaking about his, or to his disciples, and he says, you are the what? The light of the world. This is speaking about followers of Christ. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Skip down to verse 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So Jesus begins by saying, I am the light of the world. But then he also says that you are the light of the world. So do you see the two witnesses, Jesus and the followers of Jesus? Do you see that? Now remember in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we read this already. It says, but God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness. Now what event is that referring to? Creation. Creation. What was created on day number one? Light. That's very interesting. Because if you look in John, uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 14, the Bible says, and on the fourth day, God created something. What did God create on the fourth day? He created the sun, the moon, and the stars. The greater light and the lesser light. So, so I want us to see the pattern that we see in the works of God, where the very first thing that God created was light. And then he created another form of light on the fourth day. Are you, are you, are you seeing that? But we also have seen the spiritual as it is in the natural that God first brings to light as is found in Christ. And then he also brings to light as is found in the followers of Christ. Are you following what we are talking about so far? Now, I realize that I have already made the statement, but I will just make it again as we move the next step forward. If you do not understand the level of darkness that we are in right now, in our families, in our own minds sometimes, in the church, in the world, the level of darkness that is settling upon us is not meant to scare us per se, but it's meant to sober us. Because we will realize, brothers and sisters, that if God is sending light to shine, if God is trying to, to call light out of darkness to existence, then we need to understand that Satan also has come to counteract the work. And that's why in the graphic that we were using here, we have the two kinds of, so to speak, light. Light that is coming from God, but also light that is coming from somebody who is an imposter. And the great question is, how are those who sit in darkness to know the difference? How are we to know and to understand for ourselves where the true light is coming if we do not understand clearly the reality? Of where we are 
And so I want us now to go into 2 Corinthians chapter 3, which is the, 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 uh, the central part of our study, 2 Corinthians. And there was a particular reason why I believe Paul was, was deeply impressed to, to pen the words that uh, he did to the church in Corinth. And I hope that as we look at it, it may, it may open to our minds what the idea of, of, of being effective lights is all about. And why we now need to understand what that graphic of the stump on the very right hand is. You see, the SOF stands for the Spirit of the Father. All right? S-O-F, Spirit of the Father. And I want to say this, and we're going to see it from Scripture, that the very stamp that is needful to make effectual the sending of the letter, as it were, is the possession of the Spirit of God. And this is why the very first thing that Jesus, who was the light of the world, the very first thing that he needed before going out to minister upon his baptism was the anointing or the sealing of the Spirit of the Father. Are you following with me so far? And this is why just before the disciples were sent to the world, Jesus said, wait until you receive of the promise until you receive of the anointing. And then when they were stamped, as it were with the Spirit of God, they were prepared to be letters. Are you following so far, brothers and sisters? Notice with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, a very startling reality, and one that I hope all of us, young and old, can really grasp and can truly understand. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse number 2, the Bible tells us who? You. Ye. Who's the you? We will see. But it says, ye are our epistle or our letter, known or first of all written in our hearts. But then it says this, known and read of all men. And this is where it gets really startling, brothers and sisters. Because you see, if you and I are by profession Christians, if our profession is that I am a Christian, the Bible tells you, the Bible tells me that by, 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 by definition of being a Christian, then you are a letter, you are known, and you are read of all men. And the question I want to ask you is, are the contents of your letter, the contents of what's written in you, an accurate reflection of the sender? And we represent Christ. Is it an accurate reflection? Those are some of the things that we're going to be wanting to understand here. But Paul, speaking to the church in Corinth and speaking to us by faith, says that you are our epistles written in our hearts, known and read of all men. Notice with me in verse number three, James read that for us. For as much as you are manifestly declared to be the epistle or the letter of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, so we're not, we're not speaking about uh, literal things here, written not with ink, but written 
with the spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of the heart. So who writes this letter that is known and read of all men according to scripture? The spirit of the living God. Did you follow that? Let me not, let me not lose us, all right? Verse 3, it says, Ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. So you and I, if we are letters, if we are light, we are to be written with the spirit of the living God. Amen? Now, track with me thus far. We have witness number one, that is Christ, who is light. We also have witness number two, and that is the follower of Christ, who is also light. So far we're tracking together, yes? If light being Christ was imbued with the Holy Spirit, then light being us must also be imbued with the Holy Spirit or anointed and filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen? Why is this critical? It is critical because going back to the very beginning, we are in a time when Satan is working with utter urgency because he knows that his time is short. And what burdens me is that there is an intensity that even the person out there in the world, the regular non-believer out in the world, realizes that something is not right. That something is building up and this cannot hold. And so people everywhere are trying to find out how and what can I, how do I make sense of what's happening? And this is where God has a solution and has called us into this marvelous experience. Now, I would like to uh, bring about an, an, an illustration that uh, comes to us from the early writings. We're going to look at it, and then we're, we're going to come back to the scripture and close out part two, because really part two was part of the message from last time. So I hope that it will not be too long, but it will enable us to grasp the importance of understanding the the, the, the seal. You see, the letter is not going to meet its intended recipient unless the seal is upon it, right? If you do not have a stump on your package or on your letter, will it get to its intended uh, 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 destination? No, it will not. All right. This is taken from early writings, the end of the 2300 days. It's page 54.1. We're going to go uh, and read through this uh, account. And I want us to see, I want us to go in, 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 in imagination, but by faith to the experience that we're looking at. Because this happened according to the prophetic scheme of things. This happened in 1844 this ministration began in earnest in other words what we're looking at in second corinthians chapter 3 began by the show word of prophecy its final fulfillment or its final delivery 
uh, beginning in the year 1844. Now, we're not going to look at the actual prophecy that brings us to that. Perhaps we should at a different time. But that's what we are now looking at as we read this account. I saw a throne, and on it sat the Father and the Son. I gazed on Jesus' countenance and admired his lovely person. The Father's person I could not behold, for a cloud of glorious light covered him. I asked Jesus if his father had a form like himself. He said he had, but I could not behold it, for said he, if you should once behold the glory of his person, you would cease to exist. Before the throne, I saw who? The Advent people. All right? Just key, key into that. I saw the Advent people. These are people who are awaiting the return of Jesus. Are we awaiting the return of Jesus? Amen. All right. The church and the world. I saw two companies. One bowed down before the throne, deeply interested, while the other stood uninterested and careless. Now, not only are we not looking at prophecy this morning, but we're also not necessarily looking into the sanctuary message. But if you remember in some of our studies, sanctuary, the actual building or tabernacle is composed of how many rooms? Two. The first one called the holy, and then the next one, the inner one called the most holy. The throne is located in the holy place on the sides of the north, all right? So one bowed before the throne, that's in the holy place, but here's the word. The key word is that they were deeply interested. While the other, who was also in the holy place, stood uninterested and careless. We're looking at the development, at the development of the two groups and what ends up as to why you saw one stamp being different to the other stamp. Remember, there was the stamp that had a little bit of some green wording, and there was the other one that also had spirit of the Father, but it had a little bit of that blue writing. That's what we're trying to now actually decipher. Those who were bowed before the throne would offer up their prayers and look to Jesus. All right? So, so again, in your imagination, by faith, look at what is being talked about over here. You have a group who's interested and... They're bowed before the throne, so they look to Jesus, and then Jesus would look to who? The Father, and appear to be pleading with him. A light would come from the Father to the Son, and from the Son to the praying company. Then I saw an exceeding bright light come from the Father to the Son, and from the Son it waved over the people who were before the throne. But few would receive this great light. Many came out from under it and immediately resisted it. Others were careless and did not cherish the light and it moved off from them. Some cherished it and went and bowed down with the little praying company. This company all received the light and rejoiced in it and their countenances shone with its glory. Are you imagining what's happening here? Now, I saw the Father rise from the throne, 
and in a flaming chariot go into the holy of holies within the veil and sit down. What we've just been reading is before the Father moves into the holy of holies. So far we're together. Now, I'm not sure if we are all familiar with the plan of redemption, but the plan of redemption essentially had a daily service and a yearly service. The daily service was where the priest went into the holy place every day, every day offering the prayers, uh, including that were infused with the blood. Remember, he, he would sprinkle the blood on the veil, also on the throne, etc. But the yearly service happened once a year, known as the Day of Atonement, when the high priest would go into the most holy place and do a work of cleansing, of reconciling, of bringing together in one those who had been separated. And so what we had been reading was happening in the big stream of time before 1844. 1844 is simply the end of the 2300-day prophecy. How many of you sometime would like to go over some of those prophecies just to refresh? Okay, we, we will do that. We will do that for sure. But So just, just follow with me for now. So before 1844, Jesus and the Father were in the holy place. When 2 Corinthians 3 verse 3 was physically written, this was happening in the holy place. All right. But then when it says over here, I saw the father rise from the throne and go to the Holy of Holies. It's now talking about after 1844, when the work, the final work of trying to bring light to this world was to take place. Then Jesus rose up from the throne and most of those who were bowed down arose with him. Now, 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 now somebody listening whether here or whether later on may say, well, is there any Bible evidence for this? All right. Uh, if, if you go to the book of Daniel, chapter 7, between verse 11 and verse 13, you see that. You see the movement of the Ancient of Days, and then you see one like the Son of Man come to the Ancient of Days. So that is, that is where this statement is recorded in Scripture. And, and, and God willing, we will look at it in detail together. I did not see one ray of light pass from Jesus to the careless multitude after he arose and they were left in perfect darkness. Now, if you're following, and, 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 and it's okay to give an answer, where was the careless multitude as far as in which room was the careless multitude found? In the holy place. Remember, there are two rooms. There is the holy place and then the most holy. Those who were bowed and trying to understand the work of Christ moved with him into the most holy place. Those who were careless, even though they had a profession of godliness because they were somehow in the holy place. But once Jesus left there, she did not discern any light that was being shed on those who were still in the holy place. Those who arose when Jesus did kept their eyes fixed on him as he left the throne and led them out a little way. Then he raised his right hand and we heard his lovely voice saying, Wait here, I am going to my father to receive a kingdom. 
Keep your garments spotless, and in a little while I will return from the wedding and receive you to myself. That is Matthew chapter 22, where Jesus has this wedding, and after the wedding, he comes back. And guess what? There was a man who was found without a wedding garment. Remember that parable? This is what that is referring to. Then a clouded chariot with wheels like flaming fire surrounded by angels came to where Jesus was. He stepped into the chariot and was born to the holiest where his father sat. There I beheld Jesus, a great high priest, standing before the father. On the hem of his garments was a bell and a pomegranate. A bell and a pomegranate. Those who arose with Jesus would send up their faith to him in the holiest and pray, My Father, give us thy spirit. Then Jesus would breathe upon them the Holy Ghost. Now notice, in that breath, what was there? There was light and power, but what else? Much love, much joy, and much peace. And I want to just pause here, brothers and sisters, and say, here begins the cracks of the matter. If you and I are to be a letter known and read of all men, do we in ourselves contain this experience whereby not just light and power, but much love, much joy, and much peace is a reality? Just some food for thought. Because what we see here is that the spirit that is coming from the Father, yes, it has light and power, but it also has its special signet, and that is much love, joy, and peace. This is going to be a very critical uh, ingredient that we see. And I want to say that as the world moves on in time, and as we see everything spiraling out of control, people are going to be looking where the peace, where the joy, where the love is found. Because after everything is said and done, as we shall see in scripture, that is going to be the only evidence that there is actually safety in the very midst of those people. We're going to see that as we close this afternoon. Notice the other camp. I turned to look at the company who was still bowed before the throne. They were still there. They were still having worship. They did not know that Jesus had left him. Satan appeared to be by the throne. So, 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 so let's put this together. Not, not to say that Satan is in heaven. Satan was cast out of heaven. But has Satan set himself to interrupt the work of God? Yeah. So this is why you can have a situation where, where Satan addresses, as it were, a letter, signs it coming from the kingdom of heaven, and sends it out. All right? So Satan appeared to be by the throne trying to carry on the work of God. I saw them, that's the worshippers, look up to the throne and pray, Father, Give us thy spirit. Is this the very same prayer as was the other company? So the prayers are the same. But the answer is what is frightening. Satan would then breathe upon them an unholy influence. In it, there was light and much power, just like with the others, but no sweet love, joy, 
and peace. Satan's object was to keep them deceived and to draw back and deceive God's children. Go with me to the book of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And notice what the apostle tells us. Very similar words to what we are just looking at over here. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 13. 2 Timothy 3 and verse 13. The Bible tells us that evil men and seducers shall works how? Worse and worse. Deceiving and being deceived. Notice over here, Satan's object was to keep them deceived and to deceive. Now, is this talking about people in the world or is this talking about worshippers? So the people who are deceived and being deceived, is this, this evil man who works worse and worse, is he talking about cold, godless people or is he talking about professed Christians? Let's, let's, let's see if, if, if Paul makes that clear. Go with me a few verses back to verse 1. Same chapter. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 1. There's a, there's a particular knowledge that we need to understand. As, 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 as worshippers of God in the temple of God, we need to understand these brothers and sisters. And that's why it begins by saying, this know or this understand that in the last days, perilous times shall come. Now, are we in the last days? Okay. So the times of peril shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, that's without self-control, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. This is quite the list. But then in verse 5, it tells us where those people are. Because in verse 5 it says, having a form of what? Godliness. Does a godless person, does a worldly person, an atheist, do they pretend to have any form of godliness? No, they don't. But the believer does. The believer says, well, I'm a Christian. But you see, Paul saw this. Paul understood this. And so he says, speaking by the Holy Spirit, that they would have a form of godliness, but they would deny the power. And this power here is speaking about the Spirit of God. And so as it is over here, as was shown that we have just read, when this letter, as it were, is sent out for delivery, there appears to be a form, a, a, a semblance of Christianity, but there is lacking the ingredients that will bring about the change that this world really needs to see. And I want us to, I want us to understand that, that because of what was happening in the mind as Paul was, was seeing these things, as, as, as Sister White was understanding these things being revealed to us, or to her, and now to us, 
Satan would set his work to really ensure that we could not grasp and understand the gravity of what this means for us here in Onalaska today. Because we are living in the last times and we understand that God has called us to be the light of the world, to be the light in our community, to be the light in our family. If we do not have that seal, that stamp, the Holy Spirit, how then can we successfully fulfill the work of being read, of being known by all men to become a saver of life? How could that be possible if we do not have the Spirit of God? It is impossible. It is impossible. Now, there are a few texts that I want us to look into that I pray may give us the, the assurance that the Lord is still desiring for us to come and receive of his, his, his um, what I would say, his program to thus enable you and me to succeed in the work of being a letter that brings life to the reader, all right? We're going to look at a few uh, passages and we would then close with them uh, because I hope that you're understanding the, the, the illustration and then and then understanding the practical implication of that illustration. First of all, the warning that Christ puts to us as his followers, as a letter as it were, is a warning that I pray we will be able to receive into our hearts. Let us just uh, look at a couple of them and then we will look at the closing uh, text. So let's first go to Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23, and we're going to look at verse number 13. Matthew 23 and verse 13. I want to say that what Christ is trying to bring out here, he's speaking to the Pharisees, and this is that chapter where in love but in directness, he, he, he pronounces a woe upon them. Not because he is seeking to condemn them, but because he is seeking, if nothing else, to, to call them, to stir their minds to the abyss that they are about to fall into. And as it were, it's as if God is trying to speak to us today to, to, to save us from the very abyss of deception that we may find ourselves unknowingly falling into. I want to ask before we read this, what is the greatest threat facing our world today? What do you think the greatest threat facing our world today is? Unbelief. Unbelief? 
World War Three. Okay. What is the greatest threat that is facing our world today? Satan. On a hypocrites. Doing away with God's word. Very, very, very good answers. These are all serious threats that are facing our world today, but I heard it. The greatest threat that faces our world today is a professed Christian that does not have the true endorsement of heaven. That is the greatest threat that this world faces. And we're going to see it from Scripture. And this is, this is part of the appeal that I have, God's appeal for us. Are we a threat to the world? Now, now we should not be a threat, but it, 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 should, it should stir us to ask the question, am I a threat to the world? What do I mean by that, a threat to the world? Am I working at cross purposes with God? If I am not the, the, the true light, because God has called us to be light, then by default, I am a false light. And that's, that's what I'm talking about, being a threat. Notice what Jesus says in Matthew 23, verse 13. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. Now I'm going to ask you the question. Were these scribes and Pharisees, these hypocrites, were they physically stopping people from coming into the synagogue and saying, well, you can't come, you can't come? Was that what they were doing? So how were they shutting the kingdom of heaven? They weren't helping those in need. They weren't helping the poor, the needy, or the orphans. They weren't trying to help lift the load. They weren't trying to be compassionate. They weren't, you know, visiting the sick, the ones in prison, or the leprosy. I mean, they shunned them. Okay, okay. They had a different spirit. Now, they were spreading false doctrine in the form of giving their own traditions and putting the traditions ahead of the law of God. Okay, okay. Is it a good thing to visit the sick and the sorrowing, the suffering, the needy? Is that a good thing? That is a needful thing. But then Paul has a warning. What if I give my body to be burned and I, and I, and I go about and I share all the goods that God has given me, but I do not have charity? What does it do? It profits us nothing, right? And, and so I'm not, I, I, I want us to get right to what Christ is saying and, and, and not necessarily throw out all the other realities because this is true. The, doct- the, 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 the issue of doctrine is true as well. But in the very words of Jesus is given the problem that he had with them. The problem that he had with them is that they were Hypocrites. Now, what is a hypocrite? The Greek word hypocrite means actually what? Anyone? It means actor. A pretender. So they had a form. They actually may have had a good exterior. But their very life was not one that enabled people to see God clearly or to read God clearly. 
and thereby it shut the kingdom of God from those people. Are you, are you understanding what's happening here? Jesus goes on to say, verse number 14, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense you make long prayer. Therefore you shall receive the greater damnation. And then in verse 15, fearful, it says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you compass sea and land to make one proselyte. In other words, the evangelistic program was so determined that they would be willing to even go across the ocean to get a convert, to win somebody. So they were into evangelism, as it were, as well. But he goes on to say that when he is made, that is a proselyte, you make him twice the child of hell, of Satan, than yourselves. So Christ was trying to make it clear, brothers and sisters, and I'm, I'm, I'm seeking to establish this in our minds. If we are to be a letter known and read of all men, effective to everlasting life, we cannot be pretenders. I don't mean to say this in a way to discourage as far as we're not going to keep having struggles. But what I mean is, let us not deceive ourselves to think that if we go about just doing the right things, having this wonderful program, saying the right words, but truly fail to have Christ living and being and being developed in us, we are pretending and we are being deceived and we will also end up deceiving others. And this is the object of Satan, to be deceived and then to deceive others. And this is why I'm saying this is the greatest threat that the world is facing. Have you understood what we've said so far? Now, Okay, that's very well said, Auntie Dolly. And in light of what you have shared, and in an understanding of the process of how this light and power comes to us, we know that our prayers are to go to the Father in the most holy place, and there is a process. And that process is important. The reason it comes through Jesus, filtered as it were through Jesus, is because it comes through somebody who knows the burdens of being in planet Earth. It doesn't come straight from the Father to us, but through Jesus it comes because he understands what we are going through, the burdens that we bear. And because he understands, once the Holy Spirit comes through him, 
He is able to fill us so much so that despite the problems, we may have the seal of sweet love and peace and joy. And that's, and that's what is going to transform and differentiate between the pretender and the, the real deal, as it were. Now, let's go to this verse in closing. I, I have other texts, but it's okay. I think the point is clear. So long as the point is clear, we're going to be clear to make our landing. Let us go to Romans. Romans chapter 8. We're closing with this. Romans chapter 8. You know, I look at, and sometimes I read the news, the things that are happening in the Middle East, the terrible, the terrible, the terrible life that the Palestinians are uh, receiving under the uh, the dispensation of military power and might, the fear that people are going through, the ugliness that's happening in the world. And we can go on and on and on. The reality is that there is so much hurt and anger and frustration and desperation. It's like this world is just groaning. And God is trying to send a letter. And, 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 and the reason that I have used different illustrations and then we've tried to drive it home with some clear-cut instruction is that the only effective means that the letter will actually bring about change is if the letter is pure and without any pretense. So let us notice as we close in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 8, and I want us to pick it up in verse number 19, Romans 8 and verse 19. The Bible tells us, for the earnest expectation of the creature or of creation. All right, this is the world. The earnest expectation of the world waiteth for the manifestation of who? The sons of God. This is a code word. The sons of God, this is speaking about sons and daughters. It's not speaking about male. This phrase is speaking about followers who are anointed with the spirit of the father all right and who have that spirit guiding them the bible tells us that the whole creation brother danny that the world is waiting for one thing and what is that one thing the manifestation of the sons of god for a letter that is authentic if I could use the illustration in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3. Let us move on. For the creature or creation was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope, because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. Do you get it? Do you see it? Do you even experience it? The weight of suffering. This world in its totality, the system is completely failing. 
and not to say that there is no hope, but if we don't have a solution, then it will be, as it were, a hopeless case. Praise God that there is a solution, brothers and sisters. And this is why we need to catch and understand the hope that God has for each and every one of you today. This is why I desire for you to understand that you as an individual are a letter. There is no way about or out of it. The fact that you are a Christian qualifies you right away to be a letter that is seen, that is read by your neighbors, your colleagues, your uh, strangers, your enemies, whoever is out there, they are reading you. And that's why the message today, brothers and sisters, as we are out for delivery, God would have us to understand that being pretenders is not going to effectively answer to the groaning of creation. Creation is waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God, those who are anointed with the Spirit of God. And when we understand that, then it will prepare us to properly understand and appreciate 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that will bring us to where we must be positioned. We must be positioned in order to lighten up this whole earth with the glory of God. That's where we're going with this. And I pray that when each one of us can come into that formation, when we, by the grace of God, can submit and surrender to be used by him as an effectual letter, this world will see light like it has never seen before. That is my hope and prayer. And so I ask and I encourage us to hold on, hold fast, but pray that your experience is genuine. I don't want this to be a waste. We don't want it to be a waste that we would come to church Sabbath after Sabbath, that we would, you know, try to be Christians, that we would do all these things. And then Jesus said, but I don't know you. That will be terrible. And so I just appeal, I appeal, dear ones, if God has called you to this time, it is because God knows. He knows that you are all an important part in his plan. The time is at hand. The prophetic clock is pointing to the very fact that we are in a momentous period in arts history. Let us allow God to write by his spirit in us the living letters of life, that when people read it, they will know and understand that's the way. We're going to walk in that way. Amen. Brothers and sisters, that's my prayer for each one of us. I want to commend us all into the hand of God. And before we do that, have these things made sense? Are there any questions? I pray, if there are no questions, that the Holy Spirit may drive the impression deeper and deeper in your experience. And I pray that you may be encouraged to be a living letter, known and read of all men. Yes? The people that were before the throne. That's a very good question. How was it that the people who left 
uh, who, who, who remained at the throne uh, did not follow on. All right? That's a good question. And here's the, here's, here's the answer that I have, I have found. Number one, they did not have a love for the truth. It, it, it appeared they did. It appeared that they did have a love for the truth, but when the truth was brought close, it was shown that that love was not genuine. And so the Bible tells us, just a second, I'll come to you. The Bible tells us that because they did not have a love for the truth, God allowed strong delusion to be poured upon them. And so unfortunately, and here's where it gets so fearful, uh, sister, that if and, and, and here's where only you and I in, in, in our closets can plead with God, do I really have a love for the truth? If we do not have a love for the truth, then the light will one day pass away and you may continue having a form of godliness, still worshiping, still being Sabbath after Sabbath, still doing everything until you hear the words, the bridegroom comes and you wake up and you find you don't have that experience. So they did not have a love of the truth, number one. Number two, they were deceived. Remember, Satan's object is to have evil people being deceived and deceiving others. And this is where it gets, again, critical that I don't want me, Victor, to ever deceive and mislead a soul. Now, how are you going to know that I'm not deceiving you? I commend to you the word of God. You cannot know that I'm not deceiving you if you cannot check me out. By the law and the testimony, if I do not speak according to these things, there is how much light? No. There is no light. So if I don't have a love for the truth, and if I'm deceived, either willingly, then it doesn't bode well with me. All right? That's a really good question. Yes? Um, the example is in 1843, the Great Disappointment. The, there was many who, after, that left the Advent movement because there was no, the, the truth did not take root in their soul. Correct. Left. Correct. And Jesus, Jesus styled them as the stony ground hearers. So a lot of these things, I mean, and I appreciate that comment. Uh, a lot of these things, I pray we may be able to review. All right. Things are happening in our world and we need to get ready. And God will help us to get ready. Amen. Praise God. Now, what, what our sister is saying, I pray, brothers and sisters, you may have the wisdom to understand what she's saying. Part of the trick that Satan has played on Laodicea, remember, remember how God speaking to Laodicea says you're increased, you think you're increased? Part of the trick is, well, we are in the right church. We have our set of fundamental beliefs. My pastor will tell me, or the general conference will show us what to do. Part of the trick is just give your due diligence to other people to take care of that. It is too late. We all need to do our own work. We can't be careless. We want to keep studying. We want to keep abreast of truth. We want to, yes, do everything we can to support one another in the church, but we can't 
trust our salvation to man. Does that make sense? Thank you so much for studying together with me. I thank you, brothers and sisters, let me just say this. Of all the churches in the valley, not many desire to bear so long in, 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 in grinding through these things. But I pray and I hope that your patience in being willing to, to, to listen through these things will be richly rewarded. I pray that you will be prepared to stand because we don't want to just rush through these things. You know, sometimes people are like, well, this is part of the form, you know. I, I, I thank you for, for taking the time to go through it. And I know sometimes the sleepiness comes on and, and it's tired and it's hot. That, that's fine. Those are all the natural realities. But even if you fall asleep, praise God. Just fall asleep hearing the word. And when, and when Eutychus fell asleep hearing the word, he was able to be revived. And so, what's that? That one who fell out the window. That's right. He was revived. So may the Lord revive us. I thank you for your patience. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. <clears throat> Father in heaven, the, the, the study was entitled Out for Delivery. And the greater task was to discover and determine whether we have the right spirit, that stamp of approval that can make the letter effectual. We have seen that we are all letters, young men and young women, boys and girls. We are all letters. And the greatest threat is having a letter that is not genuine go out. Please, Father, you know the struggles that we have. You understand that of ourselves, as Auntie Dolly said, we can do nothing. But you have promised this power. And as we have seen in our study this morning, you are in the Holy of Holies. And you are giving of your spirit that flows through your son unto those who will cherish it. I plead that we will not be careless, as Theomi was pointing out. That we will not think that, oh, we, we, we have it all. And we're thankful for this church that you have organized. We're thankful that there is a body that seeks to, to announce to the world that there are people who are serious about keeping the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. But this is not enough just to profess. I pray that we will not be pretenders. I pray that you will enable us all to, to, to get serious in our studying, in our self-examination, to not rest satisfied if we see any discrepancy between our profession and that of Jesus. If there is no equality there, I ask that you will trouble our spirits until we know in our own hearts that we are manifestly an epistle that reflects the stamp the light, the true light. And so I thank you so much for brothers and sisters who have been willing to sit here through this hour of study. Please bless them. I know that it takes dedication. I know that it takes even self-denial 
And I pray that it's not just about sitting to listen to another human being. I'm asking that your spirit will impress these words, that one day they may, they may strengthen and fortify us, not just for ourselves to stand, but to enable others who are truly seeking for a way out of this ship, as it were, that is breaking apart. I plead, Lord, that you will bless us, whether young or old. I know that you are going to raise up people. You're going to empower and strengthen and let the weak say, I am strong. And that is soon to happen. So now bless us with your presence as we carry on from here is our sincere desire in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us on this journey through faith and community. As we conclude today's episode, we encourage you to carry the spirit of fellowship and compassion into your week ahead. Remember, in On Alaska and beyond, let's continue to spread love and understanding, reflecting the teachings of Christ in all that we do. If you ever find yourself in the neighborhood, feel free to stop in and say hi. We will gladly share a meal with you. Till next week.